and welcome to a bonus episode of what might typically be called what grinds my gears so this is this has been taken from a family guy episode where peter sat there and went you know what really grinds my gears <laughs> so uh, yes uh olivia and i have had a number of conversations off air particularly since we did our last episode and this is just one of those extra bonus sessions about things that are occurring in the world today just as we're about to come out of uh, i suppose lockdown so this is right at the end of uh, august um so i'll tell you what olivia who goes first on this okay uh well so for people who don't know me my name is olivia james uh i'm a therapist i'm a trauma therapist and uh well there's loads of things that grind my gears um one one thing that really i think we we maybe talked about in our last episode was this whole thing about um mindset people say if you have a problem you just change your mindset and to me that really grinds my gears because it mm-hmm. it displays a complete lack of awareness of how humans are actually wired and how humans work and especially how the trauma response works mm-hmm. so i can um i can be as a you know, uh, develop a fearless mindset all I like. But if I get uh, spooked by something triggers me, we've just been talking about traumas, actually, we both had traumas. Let me give you an example. So um, I was just telling um, Kath that I had a a relatively nasty accident where um, I was on my bicycle and um, a van, I was at a junction waiting to pull out and a van was ahead of me and instead of pulling out into the junction he uh went into reverse and reversed into me didn't see me knocked me off my bike knocked the bike knocked my tooth out i I luckily had a backpack on i was sitting there like blood streaming and so there was a lot of lot of dental trauma a lot of hassle after that every time I was out and about and I saw reversing lights, I would get a panic response. Mm. So telling somebody like me, oh, well, you just have to develop a fearless mindset. When it comes to a, a, a trauma response like that, where it's very, it isn't even a conscious response. You, know, you and I have talked about this before. So do you want to explain to people with a situation like that, when I see those reversing lights, I get the I get the panic and the fear. How, what happens and why does having a conscious top, a conscious mindset, fearless mindset, isn't going to help me in that? Well, I love how you do that, Olivia, and you kind of go, right, here, Kath, you, you speak now. So, yeah. <laughs> so essentially what you're talking about there is um, the unconscious processing. So to, to quote polyvagal theory, um, 80% of the information that our body receives uh, is what we call afferent, and that goes up into the, the brain, usually the brain stem, which is like the gateway, and then into the area called the limbic system, which is the, the system that generally makes a decision on whether we should carry out an action, whether it's a threat or not, whether it's familiar or unfamiliar. So essentially, 80% of this information goes up. Your lower part of the brain, so this is that bottom-up approach, um, makes the decision about what you need to do. And generally, half a second later, the the kind of cortex part of your brain, the thinking part, yeah. um, then decides to rationalise, make a decision. And that's where, you know, mindset sits. Is yeah. That's where your decisions about how you 
want to feel are. So I'm just going to kind of hashtag that how you want to feel. Yeah. And there is some research that says if you work with that, that, um, that proclivity of wanting to feel something, you can change how you feel. But actually this bottom up processing is in charge. 80% yes. of it is in charge. And if you see something that is familiar to a trauma, so for you, the reversing lights are now associated with a trauma. Yeah. For you, reversing lights will be associated with, oh my God, it's going to happen again. And the brain tends to work on a, let's err on the side of caution. If we think it's going to happen again, why don't we just get out of the way just in case? Yeah. So you're having a just in case reaction and thinking about, well, you know, the next time I see it, what I'll do is I'll just feel the fear and do it anyway. I'm sure that's the name of the book. Feel the fear. And yeah, I'll yeah, 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 it, it is. And I think what, what you're kind of reflecting here is it's not as easy as that when your body's made the decision half a second before your thinking brain goes, exactly. I know what. <laughs> so the, 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 exactly right. So the, 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 you know, the, the kind of the, the rational sort of thing would be, well, it's highly statistically unlikely. It's highly unlikely. Mm -hmm. Same thing's going to happen again. Statistically being hit by a van that is highly unlikely. So this is often what people are told when they have like phobias, they're, mm -hmm. they're told while flying, you know, you're statistically, it's really safe, flying isn't scary, but to somebody who has a fear of flying, that makes absolutely no difference. Yep. Um, so now the good news is that over the years, I've, I've like, I've actually done some work on this. So now when I see, I don't have that same trigger reaction when I see reversing lights because I've, I've like applied various techniques to, to this because that's what I do luckily. But, um, it, it always really annoys me that, that people are told, yeah, you just have to change your mindset in the, in the face of a, a reaction that comes up so quickly. I always like to think about this, um, you know, like a horse, um, if a horse that gets spooked by something, like mm -hmm. sees like a flying plastic bag it's just gonna freak out because it doesn't know what it is and yeah. because it's it's obviously evolved to be scared of stuff so um explaining you know to the horse actually it's just a plastic bag it isn't gonna hurt you is yeah. actually gonna make it <laughs> right? yeah the, yeah because number one the 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 horse would have to understand the language and and the complexities of what a plastic bag is and isn't and what threat it does and doesn't pose and yeah. da, da, da. you know your brain doesn't have time to do that under a threat exactly yeah it just right. goes get the f out the way make that now go oh, yeah, it was only a bag yeah yeah all right i've got another question for you uh and then we're gonna let you go into your ranty race <laughs> yeah brace yourselves ladies and gentlemen um, and non-binary people. Uh, <laughs> so um, it's not nerves, it's excitement. The common reframe. Mm -hmm. So often with public speaking, phobias and anxiety, people are told, oh, nerves and excitement, is, it's the same thing. You just, you're not nervous, you're excited. So when somebody's standing ready to go on stage, and they're, they've, they're given this as a common reframe. Now, to me, it doesn't sit quite right. I don't know how it, mm -hmm. that reframe <clears throat> sits with you. Well, there, there's a bit of research. So sometimes in therapy, I will do this. And, and here's how I tend to, I love the word nerves 
because actually you're talking about your nervous system. Exactly. I'm going, to, I'm going to say nervous in a way that might make sense for a lot of people. Nervous. It's your nerves. That's why you're behaving like you are, because it's your nervous system. And, and I think sometimes this might have happened through language over many, many years that we talk about the nervous system. And actually it's a nerves system. It's, they are nerves, they react to things going on around you. And again, 80% of that information goes up to the brain. So if I sat, and this is probably going to lead me into my rant in a minute. If I sat looking at a brain scan, I would see, uh, and there's different ways to do brain scans. So we have PET scans, fMRI, um, what else have we got? CAT scans, we've got ones where you can put um, certain dyes in, you can look at electromagnetic, but whatever it is that you're doing, all that you are ever doing is looking at what the brain is doing at that point in time. What you can't do is know the experience. So if I take a brain scan of somebody who's feeling nervous, pretty much the information, the electrochemical signals, the electromagnetic stuff that's going on, the neurotransmitters that are present, it's to everything, I would be able to go, oh, there's six milligrams of this, 35 milligrams of that. It looks like, and I'm going to use a, a, a metaphor here, it looks like somebody's building a cake. They're putting all of these ingredients in together. But here's where it differs for me. Depending on how you cook that, those ingredients, you can end up with a cake versus a Yorkshire pudding. You know what I mean? So if you've got eggs, milk, like, mm -hmm. it depends on how you then treat what you're then doing with that information. So generally, the information doesn't have any um, salience uh, uh, asserted to it that says, right, actually, this is a feeling of excitement. It's a set of neurochemical, yes. electrochemical feelings. And it goes up to the bottom of the brain. And this is where that associative stuff goes. It goes, I think I know what this feeling is. And the reason we do that is because when we're little and we go, wah, somebody says, oh, you feel tired. That's what that feeling is. So now when I feel X, Y, Z, I'm going to label it as that because that's what my mummy and daddy or my parents or my yeah, adopted yeah. parents or whoever it was, that's what they told me this feeling is, is. So I'm now going to identify the bodily sensations with that word because that's what I'm told it is. Yeah. And as we grow up, we get misdirected, misrepresented and miscommunicated feelings because not all of us have a great lexicon to describe what exactly. that feeling is. So if I'm a toddler, and I'm having a temper tantrum in the supermarket. And this is something that does grind my gears, which is why my kids do not go shopping with me. And I'm watching said toddler in a shopping, basket, uh, shopping trolley and they're reaching for something. And the parent says no. And that child now goes, I'm kind of looking at a child who's frustrated. I'm looking at a child who's disappointed. I'm looking at a child who there's lots of stuff going on for this child. And yeah, they might be tired. But if that parents also had a bad day, feeling tired themselves, they now mislabel because they go, stop it. You do this all the time when you're tired. Every time we come to do it. So this child now goes, oh, tired. That's what that is. So they don't label it disappointment. They don't label it frustration. It's a feeling that's called tired. Mm -hmm. And then the following day, they're at home and they don't want to go to bed, but they do want to go to bed and they're a bit hot. And, 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 and the parent goes, oh, you're tired. And then they go, well, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. This feels different to yesterday. 
but this is also tired. Right, got it. And toddlers and young children tend to have this low level of um, emotional intelligence, it's called. And they go, when I feel, it must be. And they get told it's mad, sad, glad and bad. So it's pretty simple. And then they get to about the age of seven and they get given some other labels, depending on what family they're with and what their level of emotional intelligence is and so on and so forth. And then we have a set of adults who can't label what's going on for them. So they might be stood there and it might be a feeling of excitement. But if they think that this feeling of excitement is nerves, they're now going to go, oh my God, it's nerves. And yeah. this is what I felt on the aeroplane and the boat and the car and the stage. It's all the same thing. So sometimes just that one occasion or a couple of occasions of trying to reframe it isn't helpful. No. You have to understand the story of how it got labelled like this in the first place. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think often, um, what, what, like the thing that grinds my gears is to, for people to have their own experience invalidated. And yeah. to me, if somebody feels nervous, they know that they're nervous. And to me, like nerves and excitement to me and various people I've talked to, we know the difference. It feels different. Mm -hmm. It might look the same, mm -hmm. same bits of the brain, the same areas might light up, like you say, but it, I know qualitatively yes. what it, how it feels. So some uh, glib uh, performance coach saying, no, no, you're not nervous, it's excitement. Um, it might not even if it doesn't work basically the, the piece people the person feels even worse because they think well this this us meant to work there must be something really wrong with me yes um and that's really what grinds my gears is mm -hmm. people having i often i don't think it's helpful for people to be told that they are not feeling how they're feeling that's that's the biggest issue that ever comes into therapy if somebody says i feel this i go okay i understand that's how you feel or i i'm listening to that yes. i don't say to them well no you're not actually because research says or here's, yeah. here's the science behind so i'm now going to absolutely invalidate negate who you are and for a lot of people that just reinforces a lot of the stuff that happened in their family when exactly. they were like exactly so we do this all the time as a society somebody comes in and they go you know, bullying me, and they go, oh, stop that whiny noise. But, and actually, the child's going, well, I'm trying to tell you just how distressed I am, and yeah. you've just invalidated how I'm feeling, because that noise is irritating to you. So that yeah. noise is I associate with this. And I do remember actually sitting with a, with, with a parent who said, but I know she's hungry, and this was to do with a child with an eating disorder. And I said, no, you don't. She said, but I do. And I said, well, I'm sorry you're not inside her head. So you are making an assumption that you know how she feels or that she feels hungry or, and, and this went backwards and forwards for some time for me to challenge this parent to say, actually, you cannot assume what somebody else is feeling. And, you know, in terms of grinding my gears, that was what my parents used to say to me. I know how you feel. No, you don't. No, you don't. You're not me. <laughs> you know, it's not uh, I think probably I'm not, excusing this but the, the, obviously when a child is very very small the parent and they can't speak the parent sort of has to think oh she's hungry she's tired mm -hmm. she needs a nap and i think often parents continue this longer than than is actually necessary making those assumptions 
well, right? Yeah, because you you get given this list as um as as a newborn newborn baby's parent, um or, or carer whatever. You you have this that you don't know, and I think it's really difficult when health visitors and other parents will say you will know the difference in their cries. Bullshit, because a baby cries. <laughs> And you've got to work, you know, you've got to work it out. You've got to get this list and you go, are they hungry? Well, I only fed them an hour ago. So could it be that? Well, I don't know. Do they need their nappy changing? In fact, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through the list. And if it doesn't work, I'm going to start at the top again. <laughs> and somebody says, yeah, but it could be this. So now your list gets a little bit longer. And that's the experience of a, a particularly a first time parent is I don't know what the hell I'm doing. There isn't a book on this. I'm being told I should understand and intuitively know this, yeah. which puts a whole heap of pressure on. And suddenly there's this new, I'm going to call it operating system directive that says, I'm now in charge of my child's feelings because yeah. I know what they need. Yeah. And I go, but you didn't when they first started communicating with you. So what makes you think you're much more of an expert now? Yeah. And, you know, yes, you can make... I'm going to say comparisons, you can make best guesses, you can take a really good, you know, educated guess on what's happening with your child and why you think that this is happening. The same as we do with our partners, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But to give a good quote, because we, we like them every now and then, don't we, Olivia? To, to assume is to make an ass of you and me. Yeah. So ask the question, yeah. you know, and don't make it a question about what's wrong with you. Well, exactly. I mean, I think with my trauma therapist head on, the next kind of thing is going to be often we will see this that the, the, when the child can talk they don't feel it's safe for them to actually ask for mm -hmm. what they need or they might not even know what they need or actually say what's wrong and that's where we or we, we, we you get a whole host of problems um i remember being very impressed with my my friend's little daughter she's still very small and she said um she said, I need to go to bed. And she knew that she needed to go to bed, which is quite amazing because lots of kids end up biting and going, I don't need to go to bed. I'm tired. And they, you know, when they're exhausted and they mm -hmm. just do not mm -hmm. want to go to bed and it becomes like a power struggle. Um, but often I think the, 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 the problem comes where the child doesn't feel safe to ask for what they want or to say, you know. Yeah. And I think this is where, where we, we're leading into an area like self-regulation because of, of eventually as an adult, we do have to learn how to regulate our own moods and to, to sort of assess actually now I'm really annoyed or I'm angry or I'm sad or whatever. And for most adults, that can still be a, a problematic. Mm -hmm. um, and this is when often people can get into addictions and stuff because they they find emotions difficult right so in, t in terms of and I'm just thinking here so when when you are working with people because I know you do work with people who do like the public speaking and thing and that that those nerves what what do you do how do you get into working with somebody around you know the validation of yes I know you're nervous Yes. The accepting that that's what they've told you they're feeling. So yes, I know you're nervous. You've just told me. So I, I can hear that that's what you're telling me. How do you then work with it in terms of, because I have a funny feeling you don't suddenly go, well, let's work on it and make it excitement instead. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> so so what, would you, what would you do with a person uh, there? So <laughs> I love that. Exactly. I'm not one of those magic reframe with a, because it just doesn't work. Mm -hmm. uh, in my opinion so really, really what i do is i i will take like 
and the way I take a case history is I do it as part of a conversation and my detective brain starts to work out where are going to be some of those sensitizing events that, it, that it's led to their that's caused their anxiety because so sometimes I, I see people who have never had a problem in public speaking they love it some people love that they've, they've spoken to massive audiences and then one day something goes wrong and they lose it and mm -hmm. they go blank often tiredness is involved often it'll be like they're, they're they've flown somewhere they're speaking at a conference they're tired they some of the th tech goes wrong somebody's like you know there's a few things going wrong at the same time and then all of a sudden they freeze and they go completely blank and it just never happened so it becomes a traumatic incident so they literally i think basically prefrontal cortex probably just shuts down <laughs> and they just go into like fight flight stroke freeze mm -hmm. go completely blank and then after that they think well this is awful I, you know, I want to basically then avoidance becomes their st often they will think, well, that, that, that was awful. I can't, I don't know what happened, but I'm going to make sure that never happens again. And avoidance is a really good way of doing that. Yeah. So then once I've established a few like incidents like that, that have caused the problem where the, the problem has started, basically we, we're, we're talking about trauma therapy basically then. So mm -hmm. then I will treat that and then I will give them all with all my clients. I teach them how to regulate their own nervous system. So I will teach them tricks. So one of my latest thing was my juggling ball. I've got a couple of juggling balls on me on the shelf behind me. So one of the things I do is like bilateral stimulation. Uh -huh. I do, I will do tapping. I will do eye movements, uh, techniques, um, so why we, we and we will talk and and also the other thing I will I will resource them so I will give them strategies to to make sure that it doesn't happen again because most of the time if you have some sort of backup plan mm -hmm. uh, it, it's much less likely to happen yeah um, so th that's pretty much my how I how I would deal deal with it. I was going to say, I've, I've had one of these experiences where I was at a conference and, and usually you get this, can you send the slides ahead of, and well, a lot of what I do is about not preempting so that, that um, A, because what happens at a lot of conferences is they get printed out beforehand and it's a little bit like being at, at uni. If you read the handouts, you think you don't have to turn up for the lecture or you don't have to show up if you like physically, mentally or anything. So I'd sent, I'd sent some slides through um and they were on a powerpoint they'd got a particular way of being um shown to the audience and it, it was to do with polyvagal theory so of course it was about the body and then the next part and the next part and the next part and i rocked up to to give the conversation um and it was one of those things where i turned up at like half past nine and my slot was like 20 past 10 or something it wasn't very long so the first speaker went up and i said you know tapping on my wrist you know are we having a break no you're just going to be straight on after this person all right okay well I turned up they went right let's just sort this out we're going to do this we're, we're probably going to live stream it so we're going to record it and everything right great they clicked on the things and up came my slides with a totally different color background with and I was like oh wow they've changed my slides so this was to keep in line with every and I thought this is really interesting because number one that's my set of slides so of course I'm now feeling quite quite um upset 
um, and I know that's a bit of a vague term, but I was feeling slightly upset that my, my material had been messed with, you know, and I was like, how very dare they? Anyway, you take it in your stride. I carried on talking. I clicked on the slide that had um, the animations in a particular order and all of them appeared at once. And I had a, I had a moment of freeze and I kind of went, <laughs> and then I decided to just say it as it is. And I went, well, that's interesting. I said, because this slide was meant to come in different formats. I said, so, you know, given that this is not how I prepared it, what I am going to do is I'm going to go with what's happened. I said, so what we'll do is we'll just talk through what's on the slide and it might not make as much sense now, but, and, and for a moment I had to stop and just think, Oh my God, Oh my God, the, you know, the carpet went from under my feet. And then I thought, do you know what? Just go with it, go with it Be, in, in your terms, go with the groove, go with yeah. the groove. You know that this has happened. It's a bit crap. Move along. Yeah. So I just, I just kind of said, ah, this is not how I prepared the slides. So it was, it was a vocalization of my, my anger towards people messing with my slides. And it wasn't done in a passive way. It was also done in a, it, it, it wasn't also done in a passive aggressive way either. So it, it was yeah, done yeah. in a way that said, this is why I'm just having a moment for all of you that can now yeah, see yeah, that yeah. I'm completely frozen. This is why. So, I, and I think sometimes this is where I love the Dan Siegel, name it to tame it. So I named it. This is not what I prepared, which is why I'm just having a little bit of a reroute. So I yeah. tend to think sometimes in terms of if you're driving around a city and you come across a, a set of roadworks that you weren't expecting, you have to reroute. And, and quite often, instead of getting stuck at the traffic jam and going, oh my God, how am I going to get home? How am I going to get to the event? How am I going to do this? How am I going to do that? And you get into the panic. It was okay take yeah, on board yeah. what's happening think about it for a minute and just change direction slightly exactly yeah 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 um no that that's a that's a that's a really good story <laughs> i love that um and so for me like presenting is a really funny thing right because you because you're obviously you're a very experienced presenter um nope that's what well that's the impression i get perhaps you're not no uh, but so one of the one of the things from a polyvagal point of view, so you know the bit where most people get the most terrified is the question and answer session, right? So there comes a point, I think, ideally, so for the people listening, so in polyvagal theory, um, there is a, a state called social engagement where you can, you feel sort of, relatively safe you feel open you can engage with things you 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 can engage with different ideas mm -hmm. without getting massively triggered and shut down and want to just destroy the other person because they have a different idea <laughs> and this is why I, where we i think we see a lot of arguments on social media mm -hmm. because people are incredibly threatened by other people's ideas um so when it comes to like doing the Q&A during public speaking, I would imagine that the state somebody needs to be in, ideally a really good speaker, has strong boundaries, I would say, but also is pretty much in social engagement. Would you ideally? Um, yes. So you need to be, you, so I'm just thinking about the term polarization. So I was doing, like I was telling you earlier, I was doing a podcast late last night and, and we got into a conversation about how, how this happens on the internet and with text and, and things like that. And I've had a very funny um, 
I had a very funny exchange today on Twitter, actually, where I said something um, and my PA is helping with my social media. And I said, I might, I might just change that idea, but I'd written my PA is helping me at the moment. So I might change my direction on the kiss bit. Right. So this was in reference to a graphic that had been used. And the person that replied to me, what, you're kissing your PA. And I was, I was like, this is why I love text communication, because you can so read it like that. You, you, and, you know, but I'm in a place where, OK, I found it funny. And what, what, what was happening is it was a little bit cliche and it was a conversation that, that could have been misconstrued. And the, the conversation that we had post tweet was funny because I could see what the person was getting yeah. at. Now, on other times, there's, there's this thing about if somebody asks you a question at the end of a presentation. Now, I have seen, this is so interesting, the person who writes about the polyvagal theory be almost verbally attacked in one conference, but then in another conference argued with a neuroscientist about why he had his particular view and why the neuroscientist had his particular view. And they were discussing um, trust versus safety. So trust is a a concept that we have in terms of psychology in psyche etc etc and also safety is a body thing right yeah but it is also largely psychological safety but also physiological safety yeah however porges would also say that it's it's about trust you trust in your so there was this argument about this what we call hypothetical construct that, that you can't even measure trust it's just not a it's not a thing you can almost measure it and you can define it and you can talk about it but a little bit like you talked about earlier um as a researcher i'm interested in something called phenomenology which is what is my experience of this particular thing in the world and why does that differ from everybody else's so this idea of trust is phenomenological it's also subjective my idea of trust is totally different to yours even though we're talking the same thing and we probably know what we're both talking about yeah 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 to measure it, to describe it, we'd use different words, we'd measure differently on the scans, but we know essentially what we're talking mm -hmm. about. And we could create what they call psychometric testing. You could create something that said, on average, this is what most people mean by it. So I've even sat and watched the, the, the theorist of the polyvagal theory argue about a concept with somebody else who was arguing about their understanding of the concept. And I was just going, this is so interesting. Because even the, these people on a stage in front of however many hundreds of people there were at the conference were dysregulating because they were feeling threatened by the other person's response. And I was watching how they were now not feeling safe with each other. Yes. Well, I, I, I disagree with you there and blah, 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 blah. And I disagree with you there and blah, 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 blah. And this went backwards and forwards for some time. And I've actually seen it where... You know, people have argued, spat, the, spat at each other in terms of, their, well, I think you're telling bullshit, rah, 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 rah. Well, so I think what, what happens is that's really interesting because we're, we're going to come on to some nitty gritty in a minute about um, uh, screens and stuff like the... the, the um, um, so what, what tends to happen, I think, for humans is if I think your theory is BS, mm -hmm. by definition... I might think you're a bit of a doodah. So the, the people conflate the theory with the personal, with the personal, with the yeah. attack. So yeah. basically, if I think Stephen Porges' theory is, is, is rubbish and based on, you know, it's uh, completely flawed, 
then I might think he, he is not a very uh, decent human being. So the, the, the theory becomes a, a t attached mm -hmm. to the human. And I think when two academics are arguing, it can get super personal because of that, I think, because people interpret it. People aren't just attacking my ideas and my theory. They're attacking me personally. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, even even I've engaged in some of that today. In well, not the not the personal attacks. I've 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 attacked the theory. Um, yes, I know. So the, there has been something said today that um, basically just just made my head explode, actually, because I was like, what the what the fuck? You can't even measure that as a proper proper. It just melted my head as an academic. But what met what? created the response in terms of what, what I've said on social media and what I've said today in a, a, um, a meeting was that the, 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 it was the demonization of technology and children basically yes. and that that I find really difficult coming from the academics and coming from the adults making making claims and and scaring other academics and therapists and parents and professionals into it's the technology that is creating a problem blah 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 yeah. so my my first argument is it's never the thing so it's never the drug it's never the, the it's never the, or the substance whatever it is it's not it's not the technology okay and when you start to look at behavior and you start to say the technology is responsible for the behavior you're talking rubbish Okay, so this is where this is where I was to begin with, but the statement made that that kind of really, and I think this is why we started with the grinds my gears, yeah. was that technology is reducing uh, pretty much. This is me paraphrasing that the technology screen addiction, which is a term that cannot even be measured, it's nonsense. So screen addiction causes the reduction in volume of white matter or grey matter white and grey matter in the brain but also reduces the myelination of the neurons and I thought well so does Parkinson's and so does you know because that's what Parkinson's is and so does um, not taking omega-3 fats and having an APOE 4-4 uh, SNP and you know so there's lots of other things that can cause this issue but a how on earth do you even create an experiment or piece of research where you could show that using screens reduces the brain or, or impacts the brain in this destructive way, because that would mean that you're abusing children for a start off. Okay. So it's not provable because you cannot carry out an experiment to show it. But secondly, how on earth do you even measure this concept? Number one, screens. And I go on, in my book, I go on about this a lot more than I'm going to today, but screens are, massive they encompass i mean like i i put into the uh, the chat um i look at my digital clock every single day that's technology and it's a screen i can't help but look at it because i need to know the time or i can't help but look at it because i glance at it as i'm walking through my my house or my office or wherever i look at some in a, inadvertently when i'm out and about so i might look at a tv screen in a shop i might look at so how on earth do we even define what screen time is? And I asked the question, how do you actually define screen time? And it was ignored, which I knew it would be because it's too difficult to define. So it's, it's, it's just too difficult to answer because that then kind of fractures what this person mm -hmm. was saying. 
and there was a lot about and it's the technology and i said well define you know secondly i didn't put this in the chat room but define technology i use my kettle on a daily basis more than once i can't go a day without having to use my kettle and if i can't get my kettle you know because the electricity goes off i have a bit of a panic but luckily for me i've gone and got a kettle that will work on the gas stove you know so there's this thing about because i want a drink a warm drink a hot whatever it is i'm making you know for cooking we don't have kettle addictions why not because it's technology so what how can we say there is screen addiction and technology addiction when we're talking about technology that you can't define no. because if they're trying to say devices or tablets or pcs doesn't it depend on the thing that the person is carrying out in terms of modus operandi course if i pick up my phone to use it as a calculator that is a different reason for picking it up to have a look at social media and as i will repeatedly say till i'm blue in the face the clues in the title it's social media yeah. and whilst there are lots of t tricks that the the developers use to keep you on the website or to keep you on the app or you're still doing it to socialize and they're manipulating your socializing they're not manipulating your addictive pathways because you can't be addicted to socializing no i you think yeah you know, that's interesting so like what comes to mind here is other um instances where new technology has been considered a menace i give oh. you the printing press yes. i give you bicycles i, I give you steam trains do you remember people used to think steam trains were a total menace and they were going to all the milks all the cows in the fields were gonna their milk was going to turn sour at the side of a steam train but mm -hmm. so i think it fits in i think what what you're talking about i think it, it fits in with a bigger narrative to create some sort of mass fear saying um i know that even aristotle talked about um like the youth of today you know there was there has always been this fear that the technology's gone, everything's going to rack and ruin. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, this newfangled thing, whatever it might be, whether it's the printing press or the first bone-shaking bicycles or whatever it is, were a menace. Mm -hmm. And I think this is obviously, there is a clearly a deeper fear behind this and clearly there is a, it's a deeper psychological fear that's behind this and they're clearly it hasn't been backed up by by research as you say um well i mean this 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 uh presenter actually said and uh, you know and i'm not faulting their academic qualifications what i'm faulting in in terms of what what i'm arguing is about the theory so the the idea of science is to disprove you cannot prove anything and and for me when i hear somebody who has an established um academic career in research so a phd or they, they've gone on and done something like that and they use terms like prove so science has proven and i go no it hasn't because to date we have to disprove science you can't prove anything other than bread right yeah. so that, that's it yeah, yeah 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 you can't prove anything what you can do is say there is a theory that fits until yes. it's proven and and essentially that's that's what science is about so you know when i hear this uh, well you see science proves that this happens well that means you've got to have carried out a number of pieces of research 
that bring the same result time and time and time again that isn't down to chance and this is what academic research is all about is this idea of so it's 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 to do with statistics and what they call a p-value you know is it yeah, yeah, yeah. this is da, da, da. so most most of the people in this meeting were listening to somebody who was talking about hypothetical constructs um things that are considered non-operationalized so that means you can't define what they are in an yeah. accurate way to measure right, it right. such as screen time tech addiction so you know what, what what does that actually mean that you're intravenously uh injecting binary ones and zeros because that's that's something that you could measure um, and even then you'd probably struggle because binary ones and zeros are a concept that are created within a system of computing that you can't <laughs> anyway so i could go down this road of there was a lot of statistics about um facebook depression uh, what there was you know by the end of it i was like i'm done i'm baked because a lot of the concepts were based in um, so there's a number of researchers that do this and it's all about, it's the tech and it's the kids. So the tech is to blame, the kids are to blame. And do you know what? We're living in a society where kids have no choice but to use technology. No choice. We've just been in a six month worldwide lockdown where they had to do their schoolwork through technology yeah. we haven't and that wasn't accounted for whatsoever there was nothing to say that actually it's okay to spend time on screens for schoolwork and you know we, we've had um the american psychological association and and no it was the pediatrics association that said no more than two hours per day for this age group and i thought well how do they even quantify that what does that even mean? So you can talk to you can talk to your grandparents for up to two hours, and then after that you must stop, because if you go one minute over, your brain will deteriorate. It's like what? Who is making this stuff up? And where are they getting their evidence? Well, their evidence is coming from a fear-based narrative and a shutdown vagal. Exactly, exactly. That's what I was referring to, really. Yeah. Um, now, obviously, orbs. There are problems with with screens but but it's a little bit like uh, i would imagine that 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 uh if somebody gets massively into it it's more of a symptom of another a deeper problem uh, yes and at one at one point they mentioned so my background is i've been around the gaming companies and so on this is this is why i'm i'm so um i want to say skilled in terms of having been around these technologies and so yeah, on yeah, yeah. um but there was a thing, well, in the gaming companies, they, they put blood pressure monitors on for, for adolescents and they use them as beta testers. And, and I thought, well, of course they do. If they're going to sell to teens, who else to test the game other than teens? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And secondly, blood pressure is a measurement of, funnily enough, lots of different things. It can be excitement. It can be illness. It can be... And I know what the gaming companies are looking for is, were the person in get? Did they find it exciting? Did it did it kind of create something where they they liked the game and they wanted to play it again because they could share it with their friends they could level up there was something about um and this is what we have the motivational and reward system but so much at the moment is talked about well it's the dopamine hit of the reward well what about the motivation at getting better at something what about the motivation yeah, of yeah, yeah. sharing it with your friend? It's the same bloody system. And you're, you've kind of gone, yeah, well, motivation doesn't really seem to matter. We're just going to look. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
so there's just biases everywhere mm-hmm. and it's it's almost like these these researchers and the people bringing these statements forward are not critically thinking yet they're trained to critically think that's you cannot do a phd without knowing how to critically think about what it is that you're reading yeah, yeah, yeah. was this a good piece of research and by good i mean were, was the method something that can be replicated was it in depth did it have this did it do that how were the statistics analyzed because again that's one of the things that's been happening so this this piece of research just kept getting referred to now he never named the author and i know who the author is and it was an opinion piece that used statistics but skewed them in a way that basically said and and one of the lines i've got when i'm doing my cyber trauma teaching is have iphones destroyed a generation because that was the name of that that was the name of the article you know this is what's happened smartphones have destroyed a generation yeah yeah and i'm like in what way in what way they're a menace i told you they're a menace (laughs) it's yeah so that has been that has been my day today in terms of um yeah just the the polarization so of course you know i've made my i've made my probably made my mark but i've challenged so somebody said to me you you, your, your opinions are well, there was a few people like, I'm finding your opinions um, are disagreeing with this person who da da da. Well, of course I'm disagreeing with them because actually as therapists, we need to critically think. We, we do. Cannot, we cannot sit with our client and absolutely go, well, it's this, it, what you've got is tech addiction. There we are. I've now labeled you with a problem. Now it's yours to deal with. And what I'm going to do is charge you. So for for example, people who charge for tech addiction and screen addiction and da, 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 they are very 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 expensive therapists mm-hmm. and it labels the child with something that's wrong with them in a society where it's normative behavior to be in and around technology yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um can i ask you a question <coughs> yeah it rem- this 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 really reminds me of um there's a link here with obviously the one thing that that lots of people talk about is porn addiction and people being incredibly uh, addicted to internet porn mm-hmm. and how basically it's ruining a whole generation and um, so and some of the treatments um, I remember reading a book by um, somebody called Neil Strauss who, uh, yeah, who did the truth and um... have you read the truth well, you know that the, the, the treatment that he has for his sex addiction is quite horrific in my opinion. Um, I think I think a lot of the treatments for a lot of addictions are, which is... And this, this is my question here, because basically in the, in the ladies uh, uh, and gentlemen and uh, people listening, um, so Neil Strauss gets diagnosed with sex addiction, gets put in one of these programs where it's like a... Uh, like a very intensive program where basically him and 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 his fellow sex addicts get shamed and to and this you know they are basically get told that they're despicable human beings for having desires and that they are just truly that and that then a natural attraction to a, a female body is somehow wrong this is the my memory of the thing so when it comes to uh, a general point on treating addictions like 
you know, screen addiction or porn addiction, whatever. What is your sort of take on... First of all, I'm going to jump in about the Neil Strauss thing. If you read his original book, you Which actually... Which I have. You actually see... So this is for um, people the, who haven't, haven't. So um, the game. So the, there's a book called The Game, and it's all about these pickup artists. Mm -hmm. Well, it, the thing is, is if you read his story, uh, the reason he gets into being a pickup artist in the first instance is because he feels... If you, if you look at it as a like three-part story, I feel really ugly and alone and isolated... I'm going to learn this new way of getting women to like me. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to have sex with them. And so that I don't become too involved and rejected because that will put me right back at the beginning of the story, which is how I felt at the outset. I'm going to dump them and I'm going to use them and technically abuse them. Right. So that's what looks like sex addiction at the end of it is the fact that he's having sex so much and he, he finds that this is what, you know, if, if when you get to the end of the game, he actually says it doesn't make him feel very good yeah. at all. So, um, so they're basically, so my point is that with all these like addictions, they're a symptom of a deeper problem, of a deeper wound. In mm -hmm. his case, um, he doesn't feel very attractive. <laughs> in the book, in the, the second book, the truth actually comes out. There's some quite disturbing stuff in his family background as well. Um, there's a really hilarious bit in the book where he um, he thinks what he really wants is like to have all these girlfriends. So in, in the book, he's like living with these, I think, two or three women and they're like his women and they all know about each other and he thinks this is going to be great. But what actually happens is they just argue over who sits in the front seat next to him in the car and it's just a nightmare because they're all arguing with each other and it's not this paradise that he, that he was hoping for. Um, but the but the the treatments, uh, it just seemed incredibly damaging to me. It's well, yes, and and shame doesn't work. So no. I mean, we know that we know that because shame is generally the thing that leads you to the addiction in the first place. So if you go, um, and this is why I quite like calling myself a story seeker. If you go all the way back and you look at how it all began, you can bet your bottom dollar it's something to do with shame. It's something to do with not fitting in. It's something to do with having a void. And, you know, I'm going to kind of pick up on what Gabor Mate talks about in terms of you're, you're seeking to fulfill something, yeah. that, something that's missing, um, even though I don't necessarily always agree with what Gabor Mate yes. says. But this is what happens. If you listen to um, oh, uh, Russell Brand when he's talking about the things that happened, he, he took a different route. He went to AA and luckily for him, he happened to go through a particular uh, group that didn't massively focus on the shame. They yes. talked about the, the progress. And this is why the 12 steps can be effective for a lot of people in terms of seeking a higher purpose yeah. towards religion. That can, that can be helpful for a lot of people. For most people, and, and how I work as a therapist anyway, in terms of, you know, um, whatever the... the behavior is that might be classified as addiction or, or classified as a, an obsession because we have obsessive compulsive disorder and you know all of the other bloody letters that we throw at kids and people and and then we also have the ones that they can't have till they're 18 but as soon as they turn 18 they can now have this disorder because it's uh, anyway so there, there is this whole transition of if you dig a little deeper and you find out what the issue is that's where the healing takes place. And when the healing has taken place, that 
behavior no longer exists. So the idea of these children with gaming addiction or gaming disorders or whatever, I'm not interested in the medium. I'm interested in why are they playing the game? So it's not about what are they doing? It's why are they doing it? Exactly. And, And when you can understand why they're doing it, then you can help them exactly yeah 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 and it, and it right. has to be it has to be that way around for people to heal yeah. but it's much easier to charge a hell of a lot of money deal with the symptom management say that's what they're doing and this is what's wrong with them exactly Ka-ching. Mm. uh exactly yeah yeah i mean I, I you know you and i both know that that like addiction is a much more complex thing and yeah the thing it's a symptom of a deeper problem mm-hmm. um but in a way Obviously, you know, there are things around social media where, for example, I know that that, that, that they have, they're obviously a little, they, they, they're made to, to, to keep you on. Like they give you little, the little notifications and stuff like that. So the theory is that they, they used a lot of experts from, 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 from Vegas, for example, to help them design things like uh the facebook notifications and the way the way that uh, there's a guy called um jaron lanier do you know this he's a he was a early like silicon valley dude uh and he he writes about social media now and um how how it basically it attempts to um modify your behavior so it tends to obviously there are things like Facebook pixels where, yeah, you and I could be having a, a Facebook chat about, I don't know, uh, some dark organic chocolate. And the next time we both of us go on Facebook, there's adverts for this stuff coming up. Mm-hmm. So there are, there are obviously behavior modifying things associated with it. Correct? Yeah. And, and a lot of that is driven by, I mean, not necessarily by our behavior online either, because quite often it's picked up by the microphones and smart shopping. So it's not just, it's not just social media, but yes, this is, this is being driven in what's called the information economy, but it's all being driven by, um, you know, um, so there are a number of what are called technical, uh, sorry, ethical tech people such as, uh, Tristan Harris and, um, there's, there's a few others, uh, Ryan Polgar and, and, and a few people that I sit and watch. But again, um, I hear coming out of their narrative, these are really, really educated people, but then they're using research which isn't robust. And, and you know, this has happened massively in, in the biohacking sphere that um, I, do, I do take part of, I'm really interested in, but I do hear a lot of bullshit that they go well on this one study this is why we now do what we do but based on this one study we're now going to create a whole i don't know set of equipment for you blah 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 so given that facebook or whatever social media app it it's no different to somebody creating um daz washing powder you know how much more whiter can that actually get Right. No idea. If you watch the adverts from the 1980s, and this is this is something I used to query as a child, and I used to go, but they said it was really white last time, and this time it's even whiter than white. Well, how can you even have whiter than what? What are you saying? So one of the reasons I don't watch telly is because they put these adverts up, which are highly misleading, in order to manipulate people's behaviour. Yeah. So 
it's not just and this is what i'm saying at the minute we're blaming the tech giants and this is a thing that we've been doing to each other in terms of advertisements in terms of the in-group out-group our tribe's got this what have you got and then that creates envy so actually what we're doing is we are just representing tribalism as we first set out what's difficult right now for all of us is how to make sense of what's going on so we're pointing the finger and going well it's facebook yeah well facebook is only trying to keep people on its platform because it's a business and it needs us to be there and it needs people to sponsor it and so if they were out in the real world what would they be doing they'd be putting billboards up they'd be sending us leaflets they'd be but we'd spot that you see because we think we're so well educated that we'd know what was going on then and i think this is the this is why there is such a scaremongering approach at the moment because we're just starting to realize what's been happening for the last four five six ten years is we have been manipulated in a way that we didn't agree to mm. so we've got laws that talk about how we process data we've got laws that talk about when we sign up for something we must have terms and conditions and so on and so forth and people are angry that businesses have been businesses and we have been humans so what we do is we say well, actually that they've created a problem and we're now going to name it as a problem because now we can treat it and make it go away yeah yeah got yeah so is there something apart from obviously very flawed science is there something that that you worry about that you what is the biggest menace according um, to you for me probably probably trying to search through the shit that's out there and work out what's truth and what isn't um in terms of so by the time i get and, and lots of people do this they send me articles and i'm like oh my god i haven't got time for that today i'm trying to i'm trying to do my phd i'm trying to finish my book in terms of the i can't take any more of this other stuff on but also there's a curiosity to go and read it so the one thing that i really am interested in because there's there's a lot of truth to it i know i've been and looked at a lot of the evidence and looked at the research that has been done there's a lot of stuff that i think is scaremongering i think there's a lot of it that gets blown up out of proportion in terms of making it much more scarier than it is but i worry what we're doing to the planet i right. worry just in terms of when i had my children i didn't envisage that we we would be in such a polarized state that we are now you know i wonder what it will be like when they have children i wonder what it will be like when their children have children because as a species we're we're fucking stupid we really are and if you look back through history we do this to ourselves so often if you go and have a look at the mayans and, and they don't exist anymore why is that well because they became resource hungry they became in group out group and fought and they're no longer around you know and i i think that you know mother nature or Gaia or science or the universe whatever it is that you want to call it that's that's outside of us is just sitting back going any minute now any minute now they're going to wipe themselves out and then we'll just carry on yeah well people you know the thing that, that that always strikes me is people talking about saving the planet well the planet's going to be here we might not be uh but the planet itself is is unlikely to disappear yeah you know what i mean like <laughs> 
<laughs> I, well, I mean, I look at Elon Musk and I think he's got he's got the right idea. Get off the planet before they, before they just, you know, he's kind of just looked at humans and gone, yeah, I'm out of here. But also, what does he think is going to happen when he sets up on Mars? Does exactly. He think, does he think it's going to be a different story? You know, exactly. no, you can only come on here if you agree with me. Well, that's okay, because I'll agree with him just to get onto Mars. Exactly. It might change my mind. Humans, I think if humans uh, are stay the way they are, then... Uh, yeah, exactly. Mars is going to be the same same thing. I'm I'm 99% certain that if those horses and and mice and cows and everything could actually rationalise and speak, they would be just looking at us, going, "What a set of idiots!" Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it, and lots of people do this Darwinian quote. You know, oh, well, it's Darwin's da 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 da. And I just think no, Dar because do you know what? If Darwin was here now, he'd be just going, "I don't even know why I bother." I don't yeah. even know why I bothered writing my, you know, because actually there's a lot to be said about we do much better with collaboration, but his theory has been misinterpreted. So now we think that if we're in competition, that makes us fitter or fitterist. And, and... So what about uh, this notion that uh, if more women were in charge, we wouldn't be in such a mess? We're human. I think that I think the capacity for empathy and compassion is different in women, you know, in terms of what we do and how we do. But do you know what? I'm sure that as a woman, you, you've seen this. We can be twice as vicious as men. Yeah. You know, in terms of when when we do when we do lose our shit, we're not so nice. OK, when it comes to things like, uh, you know, we're talking about the environment. So we're talking about things like microplastics and uh, pollution and things like that. Um, there is a really interesting, I don't know how much Jung uh, you've read. Um, uh, little bits here and there, or if I have read it, I've for, well, I've not forgotten it. Yeah, but. there is like, uh, so Jung has all these archetypes and there's always the shadow side. Yeah. So the, the magician is like the, the, the kind of the scientist and stuff, but like the shadow side is like all this really stupid stuff, like all the pollution and like all the stuff that's like, we, we've got these incredible like technologies, but most of them have a shadow side, right? Yeah. So we, we might, you know, we have a nuclear power, but then we have the shadow side is all the, all this, you know, the nuclear waste that's left. We've got the plastics and then we, it turns out there's like microplastics in everything. Mm -hmm. the oceans are just rammed with microplastics, you know, uh, it, so the, 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 the a theory is that you know women women if women were in charge we wouldn't have made such a mess of it <laughs> well i mean if if and I'm, I'm just thinking of the stuff i had have read around the archetypes is actually um and and i don't know if you've read any like caroline miss in terms of what she does with the archetypes that there's always a little bit i've read i've read a little bit about her yeah, stuff she's yeah. got a little bit extra on in terms of the child the prostitute even though we don't use that word nowadays the dirty i dirty. haven't actually I'm, I'm looking for a good book on the female jungian archetypes um well one one of the things that that comes out a lot about the archetypes is that you know it doesn't matter if we're a man or a woman whether it's a bio you know and this is getting into that argument about whether it's a biological or a gender it, yeah 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 we, we all have and believe you me i've met my shadow self and she's awful she is do you know what i mean at times she's an idiot at times she doesn't says things where i just look and go what on earth but there's also something about, but I also embrace her because damn, she's got me through some. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, and this is one of the things about integration is it's not just, um, 
it's not just kind of like what, what Dan Siegel talks about, the differentiated and integrated brain. You have to integrate your psyche. And yeah, 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 yeah. I think this is the difference about what's happening with the, the human being. So I'm I'm quite I'm quite partial to going into Ken Wil Ken Wilber's integral theory and talking about those levels and moving up. So you have like all quadrants or levels and you need to be in all spaces or places to be able to integrate and and to have an integral approach which accounts for everything that we do yeah and i think there's a lot about what he he tends to talk about these levels and down at the bottom you have these basically let's just make it a reference in terms of the stupid um not thinking um mystical you know oh i believe god will sort it out you know if i just do this and it doesn't matter what i do just as long as a society we all do that without yeah, yeah, yeah. In, we're all part of the same uh, so the terminology that gets used is whole on we are all part of the same macro organism it's called the planet earth and we're all part of it and yet we all think we're so bloody individual that you know what we do doesn't count yeah, uh, yeah. and it's like right you need to really integrate your thinking around actually we're all cohesive together creating the planet we are part of the planet even though that makes people think that they're rooted to the ground and so on so i'll just i'll just take that out of there yeah but there is this idea of you have to think about the further consequences and most people don't want to do that because that then induces fear about what's my part in this what do i need to do how do i manage that it's an existential angst and crisis so do you know what Cass? shut up go away and don't tell me about it <laughs> I don't, I, want to listen. I don't want to listen so you know throughout some of this conversation people will have checked out yeah, they, don't yeah. want, they don't want to hear the analysis of good research versus robust research versus shite research versus, yeah. you know it's, it's we don't want to do that and we are driven to pay attention to the fear yeah. story exactly um so talking about nature and humans and stuff so um i think you and i both know that like being outside is really good for our nervous systems mm -hmm. uh, being in nature is really good for us and i think possibly part of the um the fears around technology are that it just takes us away a lot from nature right so um i've been quoted about like the um kind of the benefits of being outside even like the benefits of gardening attending plants and you know all this kind of stuff and yeah um, and i think possibly yeah that that is one of the fears that people have about technology that it's so artificial and that in a way that that it, it stops us being rooted to the like you were talking about being part of the planet i think that's part of the the uh the theory around mm -hmm. the fear right so so there is something about yes uh there's there is a lot of science and again it's still science i've yet to to kind of really indulge myself and go to the nth degree on so i'm going to say this as a um i do know that there's a lot of um healthy benefits to being in and around trees and forests because yes. you, you get something called the microbiome there's a lot of science showing that the way that our bodies are the the electromagnetic frequencies that by standing on the earth also known as earthing that what you do is you reconnect to the earth's yeah. resonance frequencies and that's very very good for your nervous system particularly that around your heart 
but also I do know that technology can recreate some of those um, experiences of awe. So if you were to look at a nature-based uh, image, so let's just take, for example, VR, and you go for a walk in nature, your brain does not know the difference. Yeah. But the benefits, the mental health benefits, if you like, even though I'm, I'm not great on that term, but the not benefits of being yeah. in nature are good for your body and good for your brain. And your brain is not brilliant at detecting whether you're in a real forest yeah, yeah. Or looking down a VR screen. So I would imagine, I know that part of your <coughs> argument is like, uh, for many people, including people with mobility issues, that is a brilliant way to have access to something yeah. that they wouldn't have access to otherwise. Yeah. So, so they wouldn't get the physical benefits of, for example, the microbiome or the, the breathing air. in the, you know, the, the, the fresh air or the, the forest smells, all that stuff, having mm -hmm. their feet actually on the ground. However, uh, however, however, we know, we know from um, brain science in terms of what, what we have been able to do is people can hallucinate. We know that because there are disorders, but most people don't understand. You can actually hallucinate with auditory and olfactory smells. So if you have been to a forest many, many times in your childhood and you are, I don't know, let's say a paraplegic, you are housebound, somebody brings a VR headset, you will almost and it's not exact but you will almost re-experience the smells of the yeah. forest by looking in the vr headset and we can go and collect specimens of certain microbiome and we can bring that back so there are ways and means that we can recreate for the body yeah because there are things called grounding mats you can you can put a grounding mat under somebody who is on a bed and recreate the same resonance yeah that they would get if they were stood on the grass exactly i've just had a memory the reason i smiled is i remember uh, uh this program do you remember chris morris um brass eye back in like it was like BBC. Wow. yeah back in i'm showing my age here but there was a whole program where he was he would he would show up this this really um this false idea of like this lack of nuance so he would get somebody on and he would go, science, is it good or bad? And he would like, literally, <laughs> and he'd have this, he, had, he like f had this thing in his desk and he flipped it over and it was a dial where the guest could flip it, good or bad. And there was all this stuff about, you know, how, um, you know, there were like farmers were doing bad stuff, which I think many farmers are doing incredibly bad stuff. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but, but it was just like that, that whole idea of like, that it isn't as simple uh, there's a is it who has it um it's not tim harford it's someone else who uh th this doctor who has a book called uh, i think you'll find things that it's a little bit more complicated yeah, that's, that'll be ben goldacre because that's he, the one the first book was called bad science and he exactly yeah it's a little bit more complicated than that it's a little exactly. bit complicated exactly yeah. Because it is. And, and what, what he did with that book, which I thought was one of the best, you know, and, and I gave it to my kids and said, you know, this is a really good book about looking at a balanced view. So just because it's reported in this way doesn't necessarily mean it's true. I mean, look at look at in the media, how food is good for you one week and bad for you the next. It causes yeah. cancer. It creates cancer. It's good for cancer. It cures cancer. It's, how can these things possibly do all of these things? I think the, the common denominator through all of these sciences 
is generally that it's a human. And for most of us, we have the capacity to, um, and I'm not making this statement in terms of people who have cancer can now go and cure themselves, but actually we have a capacity to heal ourselves in so many different ways that actually a lot of this science is out there reducing us down to, well, it must be because of this, or it's because you're missing this, or it's because you have a deficit, or there's this wrong, or there's that wrong. And, and actually it creates a narrative worldwide, society-wise, that we, we are at the fate of other things that we have no control over. And actually there's ways and means around everything. Yeah. So. Exactly. Um, um, I remember um, a lot one my colleague, uh, Jarl Clausen is a psychotherapist calls reductionist uh, bullshit, basically. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember years ago, there was like a Ben Elton little sketch and he was, uh, you know, when you were in the morning, you're eating your cereal and you're looking at the cereal box and you sort of like just reading it and it goes, uh, you know, so, so many micrograms of B12. Right? And then this is like 40% of your RDA. And he'd be looking at it going, well, where am I going to get the other 60% from? <laughs> yeah. And who decided it's a recommended daily? And, and secondly, for who? Yeah. So the, you know, there's a lot about um, when... So going back to that thing today, um, so when it causes a problem and I go, well, what does that actually mean? And for who? Is that a problem for the parents or a problem for the child? Yeah. It, who's actually got the problem here? You know, so it, a lot of a lot of the terminology that gets used, I think we would do better as a, as a species if we could learn to critically think. But we haven't been taught how to do that. So, you know, we've we've got we've got places to go. I don't know whether we'll get there before before we have to leave for Mars. Um, but talking talking of kind of leaving and things like that, um, I do need to shoot off. So um, is there anything else you wanted to kind of just get in at the last minute before we end this? I, I wanted to ask you a question about emotions. So people can talk about, you know, we can talk about diets and stuff. And But my sense, like we're talking about intuitive sense, like so my intuitive sense of being in nature is good and you know, there are some scientific uh, research to, to support that. Uh, so my, my sense as a therapist is that a lot of like illnesses when it comes to physical as well as emotional illnesses are untreated emotion, like at stuck emotion and I'll dealt with trauma. Would you, would you broadly agree with that? Um, yes, because I, I see. Um, so again, I'm just going to go a little bit back. So if people are really interested in understanding emotions, go and have a look at William James. So, you know, he was um, he's the founding father of biological uh, psychology, but also psychology. And he talks about what what actually happens in the body. And you know what? Porges is coming to the front and going it's body first, brain second, even though that's not that's what I say. So it's body first, brain second, which always reminds me of that program Brainiac where they go safety first, brainiac second. Yeah. So it's body first, brain second. And it's, there's not a big gap between how fast they work, but it's definitely body first, brain second. That emotions are energy emotion. Well, that's just another way of describing what's happening in the body at the time, which is electro... Uh, no, that was nearly my, my old job. Uh, electrochemical, electromagnetic frequency. It's energy. So if you go and read anything around Dan Siegel when he gives his definition of the mind, he's talking about energy and information flowing and how we make sense of that. Well, there you are. 
energy and information that gets stuck or isn't understood or doesn't flow is the reason why we end up with that that uh, discord exactly dis ease and exactly. that, that's that's essentially why we have the problems that we do as as human beings exactly it's about understanding how you can get to heal that and you've got to do some story seeking for that yeah. exactly um final point so i spoke to somebody ages ago who um i'd had a lot of psychos he she'd been admitted to like for psychiatric issues a lot of times and she said finally after years of being like hospitalized finally somebody asked what happened to you mm. what's your story and that's really what she needed yeah so in i think uh bruce perry talks about in relationships and and you know this is coming out of all of the trauma literature to be to have a witness to your story and to be in a relationship with a person who witnesses your story is one of the most healing things anyway that usually gets the unstuckness uh, sorry yeah. the stuckness unstuck yeah exactly mm -hmm. although sometimes like it needs a little bit more than that so for somebody for me to tell uh, the going back to the the tooth thing i could tell that story lots of times yes. of my tooth getting knocked out uh telling that story lots of times or, or, or having somebody witness that as a story uh, might not necessarily stop me getting that uh, panic reaction when I see those reversing lights, right? Well, I mean, the thing is, is it was your body that needed to hear the story, not your brain. Yeah. That makes sense. That's what I say to people is that you can, you can talk to me all day long about what's happened. Exactly. But what needs to happen is you need to feel relational safety for yes. your body to go. Exactly. Ah, oh, exactly. Yes. Yeah. In fact, there's a brilliant advert out at the minute. Um, is it money supermarket? And at the end of it, he goes, money supermarket. Actually, that's a really nice way of saying that's, that's a release. And sometimes exactly. that's what you need to do. So it's the body that's got to feel that, not, not just because the brain then puts a narrative to the feeling it goes oh that's what it's like to not yeah, feel yeah. yeah that's what it's like to feel released that's what it's like to feel oh i quite like that you know generally generally we like the feeling of not being stressed exactly yeah unless of course unless of course you listen to freud in terms of where we're, we're constantly seeking to just have the feeling of um so so he actually talks about um the example he gives is if you wear a pair of tight shoes, when you take them off, you really like that feeling of tight shoes. And I'm like, so why are you putting the tight shoes on in the first place? That would be my first question is why are you putting something on so that you can feel the relief? Yeah. What's, what's that about? Yeah, <laughs> what's exactly. going on there? <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you so much. That was an interesting meandering uh, things that grind our gears. Um, we went everywhere, didn't we? We even yeah. went to cars yes that was actually that might be a really good way to title this isn't it <laughs> but there we are thank you yeah again thank you for your time and uh yeah thank you so much Kat. right